new business for a new year. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, you may go ahead and find your way to Luke chapter 8. We'll be picking up in verse 26, which is where we left off a few weeks back before the snow and before vacation for me and before Christmas. Uh, but we're slowly but surely working our way through the Gospel of Luke and finding all that God has in store and how he teaches us about the outcasts of society. And today will be no exception to that rule as we look into what God inspired through his author here in Luke's Gospel today. Many of you know the name John Wesley. John Wesley was an English preacher and evangelist whose organization and methodology really became the foundation of a denomination known as Methodism. And one day, Wesley was riding his horse and singing his, his favorite hymn when a man stopped him dead in his tracks. Now, surely Wesley wondered in that moment what kind of business he had with this man who had stopped him until Wesley heard the words out of the man's mouth as he said to Wesley, your money or your life. This man's business was the business of a robber, which we could say is really no business at all. And so Wesley obediently emptied his pockets of a few coins that he had, and then he invited the robber to go through the bags that were there on his horse, which were filled with books, much to the robber's dismay, as you might imagine. And so this disappointed robber was turning away to leave from this scene of crime when Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to say to you. I have something more to give you. And so the robber turned back and Wesley said, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life that you're living. And if you ever do, remember this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses from all sin. And the robber hurried silently away and Wesley rode on along with his pockets a little emptier, praying that this brief exchange might have an eternal impact on this one robber's conscience. Years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, a man stepped forward to speak with Wesley, and Wesley was surprised to learn that it was that very same man who had robbed him all those years before. He was now a child of God. He was now working in a new line of business. God had used those words which were spoken by Wesley that night to turn this man to Christ. And now, taking Wesley's hand, this crook-turned Christian said to Wesley, To you, dear sir, I owe it all. Wesley said to the man, Nay, nay, my friend. Not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And truly the work of Christ, my friends, is the same for each and every one of us. As it was for that robber there on that fateful night when he came to know of the love of Christ there in Wesley's travels. Now that man might not have known it. But he had a business appointment with the Lord on that day. Because the business of the Lord is for each one of us 
to be cleansed from all sin, to be set on a new path, to find new ambitions as we become partners in his mission to rescue the lost. And my friends, that is what Christ calls for us to do as members of his body, as believers in his salvation. We are to partner in his business. And today's passage gives us a powerful account of a man who had such a business appointment with Christ. He was a man who was possessed by many demons. He was a man who lived in a non-Jewish territory known as Gerasa. Therefore, your Bible might have a heading over this passage we're going to read today that says something like the Gerasene demoniac, because that's how he tends to be referred to in Bible headings. And this man didn't know it, but he had a divine appointment with Christ on this most important day of his life. And so let's read now about that business appointment as we look into Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And I'm just going to ask if you're able, let's honor the reading of God's word by standing together as we hear what the Lord has to say for us today. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then they, that is Jesus and his disciples, after this great storm they've survived on the sea, after Jesus has tamed the wind and the waves, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto land, that is Jesus, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time. And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him. And said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of them. And entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him on his way, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. 
So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Here is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As I mentioned, Jesus and his disciples arrive here in this country known as Gerasa. This passage that we find here today takes place just after Jesus has stilled the storm in Luke chapter 8. He and his disciples were, were crossing from what was the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee down to Gerasa, which was kind of on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And so we can see why, why Luke says that the country of the Gerasenes is opposite Galilee in verse 26, because geographically they're opposite across that sea, which Jesus and his disciples have just crossed. And in fact, so if you look at the Sea of Galilee, out, out of the bottom of that uh, sea, we have the river that really separates the Gentiles from, well, the, the, the Gentiles, if you're looking at it geographically in this map that I'm painting in my mind here, the Gentiles from the Jews on the south side of the, the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus and his disciples cross to that southeastern corner in this country of the Gerasenes, they're actually traveling into Gentile territory. And, and that's also evident by the fact of what trade the Gerasenes were carrying out. We find that there were many swine, many pigs that were there in that area. The law of Moses prohibited the Jews from eating pork. Moreover, it prohibited them from raising up animals, raising up these, these pigs in order to sell them to other nations. And so we know that this is indeed a Gentile country. And Luke seems to draw our attention to that by the fact that these pigs are very prominent here in this passage. And so it's very interesting that Jesus travels outside of the land of Israel to carry out the exchange that we find here in this passage. And, and just on the heels of this great miracle where we see Jesus showing his power over nature, his power over the wind and the waves as he speaks to them and says, peace be Still, just as we see Jesus in his power over the natural realm, now we're going to see Jesus and his power over the supernatural realm as he speaks to these supernatural demonic beings. And this is all part of really a, a four different miracles that Luke stacks on top of one another that, that really show for us so much of who Jesus is and how great his power is. There's the power that he has over nature in the wind and the waves. There's the power that he has in this passage over the, the demonic powers. And then we'll see his power over disease as we dig a little further in the coming weeks. And his power over death. And I like the way the New American Standard renders verse 28 of this passage. As this demon-possessed man comes before Jesus... And he falls on his face. He cries out in a loud voice and he says these words. What business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. Now I must confess that the original Greek was much simpler than that. A literal rendering of this 
but the words, the Greek words that are behind this phrase in the original Greek text is a pretty terse rendering. The words directly translated simply say, what to me and to you? But the essence of the question that is asked by this one who is occupied by demons on this day is this, what dealings do you and I have with each other? And so we find some similar translations in other popular Bible versions. The Christian Standard Bible, for example, renders this as what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Likewise, the New, New International Version says, What do you want with me, Jesus? The King James Version says, What do I have to do with thee, Jesus? And a good summary of this question, as the New American Standard renders it, is this What business do we have with each other, Jesus? What business do I have with you? What business do you have with me? And that's an important question. It's an important question for all of us, not just for this man in this passage. As we enter into a new year this coming Tuesday, that's a question that should be on all of our minds. Because whether we realize it or not, Jesus wants us to be all about his business. And when we read about his encounter with this possessed man in Luke 8, and as we do, I want you to realize that there's something greater on display for each of us that we need to take note of. And that's this. The business of the Lord Jesus Christ is to seek and to save those who are lost and held captive. And he wants you to be about his business. And so I want to just walk you through this passage today as we examine four answers for each of us as individuals and the entirety of us as a church relating to this question. What business do you have with Jesus in this coming year? And first, I want you to see this. His business is to heal you. His business is to heal you. Jesus has led his disciples on a journey into a foreign country across a tumultuous sea. Why would he do that? Every indication in this passage is that Jesus and his disciples embarked on this tumultuous trip so that they could minister to one man. He's the only one that Jesus directly ministers to in the passage, as Luke records it here today. Matthew's account of this same gospel records that there were actually two men who were demon-possessed in the tomb, but Mark and Luke both put their emphasis on this one man. And Jesus has gone to great lengths. He and his disciples together have gone to great lengths to reach the one. In fact, verse 27 says that when, when Jesus came out onto the land, he was met by this demon-possessed man. Mark's gospel account in chapter 5 of the gospel of Mark records this encounter took place immediately after Jesus got off of the boat. And it was as if God was orchestrating a business meeting. And by providentially aligned circumstances, the Savior who had come from far away across the sea immediately interacts with a man who is in great need of what only Jesus could provide. And this man who was typically found in the tombs or in the desert was there waiting for Jesus as he stepped on the land. And you see, Jesus has a mission trip plan. He has a business trip plan for this man. He has a mission to set this man free from the circumstances that have enslaved him. 
And you see, my friends, there's a lesson for each and every one of us in the very fact that Jesus crosses the sea to reach this man. Jesus does not long to see you suffer. Jesus does not long to see you bound by Satan's influence and squirming like a worm in hot ashes. He has come to heal. And and watch this. There's no distance that Jesus won't go to to help those who are hurting. There's no storm that he won't go through to reach out to those who are in need. In fact, he has bore the greatest of all storms as he drunk the full cup of God's wrath on the cross of Calvary that he might take our place and bring healing to us in our sin-sick disease. This man's a clear example of Christ's mission to reach out to those who are hurting. What is this man's sickness? Well, he's possessed by demons. And we should take just a moment to talk about demons because we don't tend to talk about demons a lot. They remain unseen, and so they remain out of the topic of conversation of what we would generally speak with one another about. But what are demons? Well, the Bible reveals that demons are fallen angels who fell with Satan when he disobeyed the Most High and fell from his rank as an angel. Revelation 12, chapter 4, hints that about a third of the angels, which are as innumerable as the stars, by the way, but about a third of those angels fell with Satan in his rebellion against the Most High. And we also see in the Bible that some demons are free to roam about the earth now, while others are confined in this place known as the abyss until this coming time of great tribulation. But all demons function under the authority of Satan. They are not visible to our mortal eyes, but they do manifest themselves in the possession of other individuals from time to time, as we see in this passage here today. And Luke gives a lot of attention in his gospel to demons. In fact, the Greek word daimonion is translated into our work into our English word demon, that word occurs 55 times altogether in the New Testament. And that word is found more times in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the other books in the New Testament. 21 times Luke uses this word in his Gospel. And that's at least 10 more occurrences than any other New Testament book. And we learn a lot about demons from Luke's Gospel. We learn a lot about demons from this particular passage even. For example, demons have personhood. We know that because Jesus asks in particular for this demon's name. The demons are named. And we see in this passage, obviously, that demons are capable of possessing individuals. In fact, multitudes of them can possess a single individual. That's why when Jesus asks this man what his name is, The demons that have possessed his body reply back and say their name is Legion, for we are many, they say. Now, in the Roman world, the word Legion referred to this whole company of thousands of soldiers. And so, astonishingly, we find that a whole battalion, a whole battle division of demons has taken up residence in this one man. 
And it's no wonder that Jesus cuts through the Sea of Galilee to rescue this one imprisoned soul. We also see in this passage that demons can speak. And by their words, we see that they have a supernatural intelligence. What do I mean by that? Well, when Legion speaks, he says, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. This man living in a land far away from God's people and just encountering Jesus for the first time out on the garrison beachfront would not have known who Jesus was. But the demons know who he is. And we read that he, that is this man possessed by the demons, fell before Jesus in verse 28. To add a little bit more detail, in Mark 5, we read that this possessed man ran up and bowed before the Lord. By his actions, this man shows that one who has more power and more authority over demons has come. And so the demon-possessed man bows before this one who has come. And my friends, you should know, this business meeting that we're looking at here is not a meeting among equal business partners. We are seeing the Lord of all encountering those who are far below his level of authority. And as we read in the book of Philippians, one day, this is just a reminder to me, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess on heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And demons, my friends, are powerful beings, but they are not all powerful. And there is one, my friends, whom we can place our trust in, who has every power, every authority over these creatures. And when a demon or multiple demons takes possession of an individual, that demon has a great impact upon his host. Demons can give individuals supernatural strength. We see that here in this passage. As this man proves to be stronger than any shackles, any chains that anyone who would be able to capture him would be able to place on him. He supernaturally breaks free from every bond that is placed on him. But with all of that strength and with all of that knowledge comes a downside. Because demons typically lead the individuals they possess into self-destruction. Matthew's account of this event in Gerasa, noting that there were two demon-possessed men, uh, has some details regarding that. Matthew notes that these two men were extremely violent, so much so that no one could pass by that way. These men had a reputation for being very dangerous to others. And Mark adds a detail to this torment that Legion was bringing upon this enslaved, sin-sick man. We read in Mark 5, that this man was constantly screaming, night and day, gashing himself with stones. And this man had not worn clothes for a long time, Luke says. He wasn't living in a house, Luke shows us. He was living among the dead in the tombs. Was it maybe an obsession with the dead that had led him to be possessed by these demons to start with? We're not really told. But it's clear that this man is sick 
and he is enslaved and he is harming himself and he is striving to harm others, which is a characteristic sign of demon possession. Now, there are a lot of mental maladies. There are a lot of psychological disorders that can mimic these same sorts of things that we would see common in demons. And without the visibility of those demons, it takes a good bit of examination to know for sure whether or not an individual is possessed. But elsewhere in the Bible, we read about demons causing individuals to harm themselves by slamming them to the ground, causing them to foam at the mouth and grind their teeth. One demon even throw, threw a man's son into the fire and into the water and attempts to destroy this son by burning him or drowning him before Jesus came and rescued him. And we can't see demons now with our natural eyes, but the man and the pigs that they possess in this passage show us just how dangerous they can be. And demons are still active, my friends. I can't definitively tell you that I've ever encountered anyone who has been possessed by a demon, but I have solid, reliable, doctrinally sound individuals and friends in ministry who have told me of their interactions with demon-possessed individuals. Now, I give all of that to you as a background. Demons are still on the loose, but do I expect, in the average day, to encounter demons here in this nation to the same degree as when they were encountered in Christ's day? No, I do not. Why? Well, I believe that the action of demons was heightened during Christ's time on earth. Like when you throw a rock at a hornet's nest, right? You've invaded that hornet's territory and the hornets get stirred up. And I certainly believe that the demons were stirred up as Jesus had come to their turf and was waging war on their very battle for human souls. But the good news, my friend, is that Jesus has come to heal this sickness because his business is to heal you. And for those who know Christ as Savior, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And I believe that a demon will not possess one who is inhabited by God's Holy Spirit. Amen. And though we still need to be ready to engage in spiritual warfare by putting on the armor of God, Christ has dealt with this disease. But my friends, if you don't know Christ, you are open for attack. If you don't know Christ, whether visibly or invisibly, you are under the power of the evil one. If you have not entrusted your life to Christ, then I plead with you on this day. Come to Christ and be healed. Come to Christ and find freedom. Come to Christ and find life. His grace is for you. His business is to heal you. That's one of the reasons why Christ has come. But we also see in this passage another bit of business that you have to do with Jesus in this coming year. For secondly, his business is to deliver you. It's fascinating to consider why Jesus grants the request of the demons in verse 31. These demons beg Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss just as they begged him not to torment him, them back in verse 28. 
And the word translated abyss in verse 31 occurs only nine times in all of the Bible. Seven of those times are found in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, showing God's cataclysmic end of times activities. And the the first of those examples that we find in the book of Revelation of this word abyss is found when the demons are released up upon the earth out of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9 as the first woe of the fifth trumpet. Then in chapter 11, the beast comes up out of the abyss. And then in Revelation chapter 20, an angel comes down out of heaven holding the key to the abyss and Satan is thrown in there. You see, this abyss is a place that is reserved for Satan and his minions. It is a place of punishment. And Jesus talks about this place in Matthew 25 as well. And that, my friends, is where this concept, this idea of the abyss becomes an item of interest for each and every one of us. Because Jesus points us to a future day. And he notes that he is, as he is separating the lambs from the goats in that future day, he is separating those who know him from those who looked like they knew him, but who never really knew him. And he says these words in Matthew 25, verse 41. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, there's a place of great condemnation that is prepared for Satan and his demons. But what what you must know is that this place of condemnation is also a place for those who do not know Christ. It is also the place where they will spend their eternity in conscious torment. And my friends, this has all sorts of implications for us when it comes to sharing the gospel with those who are unreached, when it comes to, to loving our families who don't yet know Christ, when it comes to reaching out to our neighbors. And these demons who are loosed upon the earth now know that their days are numbered. And they shudder to think of what that condemnation will be like. They want to prolong their destination as long as they can. And so they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. And my friends, if the demons who have no grace extended to them through Christ beg for this salvation... How much more should we, to whom he has appeared and offered his rescue, beg for the same? How much more should we beg for his rescue to be for us? And my friends, you see, Jesus doesn't send these demons into the abyss immediately because the time for eternal condemnation has not yet come for them. And likewise, if you are gathered here in this place today and you are apart from Christ and you are still breathing and you are still able to hear my voice, I want to tell you the time of condemnation has not yet come for you. But the demons know that it is coming. They know that Christ has come to deliver us. They know that their days are numbered. And so in Matthew chapter 8, we read that these very demons request Jesus not to torment them before the time, they say. 
You see, they know their time is coming. They know their defeat is imminent. They know that Jesus' business is to deliver his children permanently from their influence. And so they cry out with all that is in them in hopes of avoiding hell's fires for just a little bit longer. And yet so many of us hear the gospel. We hear that Christ has come to save. We hear that condemnation will fall on those who do not receive his gift of life and entrust themselves to his rescue. And still many of us wait. Many of us act as if it's nothing important. Many of us leave our eternal destiny for a later date which we do not know for sure whether or not it will come. And so I plead with you on this day. Christ's business is to deliver you. Don't wait. Don't wait until you clean yourself up. In this passage, Legion was delivered from eternal condemnation. He didn't wait until he had cleaned himself up. He didn't take a few minutes or a few days to wash up his wounds. He didn't wait until the healing was complete. He ran forward with open, fresh wounds, dried blood, and nasty, grave-smelling hair, and he found a deliverer who was ready to rescue him in that state. And so likewise, I urge you, don't wait until you clean yourself up. Don't think, oh, I'll get my act together. I'll stop doing what I'm doing, and then I'll come to Jesus when I'm good enough. Because, my friends, that day will never come. By his grace, he invites you on this day to come just as you are. And don't wait until you cover up. Some of us get the idea that we need to settle into a church. We need to do the Jesus thing and look like the Jesus people and put on this shiny exterior holy person that says that we are part of the community before we can come to Christ. There's no need for that. Hiding what's on the outside won't make you any more lovely to Christ than you are now with your present faults. Here we have Legion who is running to Jesus stark naked. He didn't take time to cover up. He came to Jesus just as he was. And I also say to you, don't wait until you free up. Legion didn't wait until he had gotten rid of his demons. Demons were still shrieking through his voice when he spoke with Jesus. Don't wait until the addiction is gone. Don't wait until the demons have left you alone. Come to the one who rules over all and let him set you free, my friends. Because that's what Christ does. That's his business. He has come to deliver you. He has come to grant you everlasting peace. And that's the peace that Legion finds here. As Christ drives out his demons and about 2,000 pigs, we read in Mark's gospel, rush down this steep bank and are drowned in the sea. You see, if it weren't for Christ, this man would have been the one who was drowning. Let me say this. If it weren't for Christ, this man would be the one who was drowning. Because, my friends, he has made all of 
the difference. Christ has delivered me. And Jesus delivers. Not just in this future time when the de demons will be banished forevermore. He delivers us from the real war that is going on around us here and now. And even an army that is losing a war may still try to inflict as much damage as it possibly can. I remember in my high school days playing football on a terrible football team, okay? We went 0-10. Jeremy knows he was a part of that same team. We went 0-10 my senior year, which would have been his junior year. And uh, I remember that even though we pretty much knew we were going to lose every game, all right, we were a pretty rough-looking bunch, I, I weighed about 50 pounds less at the time, and I played offensive line. For any of you who know football, you don't want a very strong guy playing offensive line. But we knew we were going to lose, and yet there were still guys on our team who, once we knew that the score was out of range, would try to do all the damage that they possibly could. I remember one of my best friends at the time, after a play, ran in and dove and kicked his feet right into the back of one of the other guys on the other team. Now, that's lousy coaching that anyone would be allowed to do that sort of thing to start with, but, but that's a mentality of saying, I'm going to inflict as much damage as I possibly can. We see this in the professional level. Teams, when the game has gotten out of hand, the team that's losing will start to get a little bit raucous. They'll start to get a little bit feisty. They'll start to fight in the midst of those final place and we Christians battle against Satan and his evil forces now they know that their defeat is imminent they know that Christ has already won this battle for an eternal victory but they're still going to inflict as much damage as they can in this day and in this time and we win the battle this spiritual battle that is going on all around us by putting on the armor of God as we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. Taking up God's armor enables us to resist the evil day and to stand firm. The truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and God's word are all instruments of our warfare. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, faith enables us to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And my friends, Christ's Business of deliverance has granted to us an opportunity for victory, even in the battles that wage on. Yes, Christ's business is to deliver you. And if you are being led astray, your business in this new year should be to put on the full armor of faith that Christ makes available to you. The next bit of business that you have to deal with in this coming year is this. Jesus' business is to equip you. When Legion's host is released from his captors, the whole city comes out to see him. And what do they find? In verse 35, we read that they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demon had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now, in Jesus' day, there were individuals that were kind of religious teachers known as Rabbis, And if you wanted to learn from a rabbi, the place of learning was to sit at the rabbi's feet. And that's the position that this man, who's now had probably 2,000 or more demons driven out of him, takes as he is in his right mind. He's been delivered, and so now he takes the place of learning. He takes the place of sitting 
at Jesus' feet. And he moves on to being equipped. Because that's Jesus' business for every man. And it's his business for you as well. Jesus has come to equip you to know his truth and to be a part of his plan to save the world. This man is no longer an outcast. He's no longer the crazy man who nobody wants to be around. Now he's clothed. Now he's in his right mind. Now let me just say this for a minute. Satan wants you to be an outcast. He wants you to be kept away from your fellow man. The demons had led this man to live in the tombs, not in a house. They drove him out into the isolation of the desert. Why, why would they do that? Well, well, a man who lives alone, apart from God, is left to really his own devices. He, he has no availability of anything beyond himself. He, he doesn't live out God's plan to love your neighbors as you love yourself. He doesn't live out God's plan to do good to your enemies. He's not interacting with anyone. He's all alone. He's focused on himself. And oh, how many individuals are focused on themselves in our day. Is that you? Do you spend most of your days in isolation? Do you stay away from the community of God's believers as often as you can? God has given us the church. It's our family. It's this gathering where we come together to equip one another, to build one another up, to help one another, to find the place where God has called us to serve, to function as this body together, doing God's work. And Satan would love to keep you away from one another in his service. And Satan would love to keep you away from this community. He would love to keep you focused on your own pleasures. And you know, I can't help but think, why would Satan need to deploy his demons in our land when we're already so driven into isolation with all of our tablets and all of our cell phones and all of our digital assistants and all of our TV sets? When can we... When we can all find our own fleshly desires through our digital means, why would a demon be needed to drive us into the desert? When the gospel is not going out, why would Satan deploy his minions to hinder men from taking hold of it? Why would he not prefer for young men to grow up fighting their wars with a game controller rather than taking on evil men with their real lives on the line? Why would he not rather have us loving Facebook and Instagram posts and Snapchat posts from afar rather than taking the costly approach of loving others in person and helping a friend who is in need. When Satan deployed his minions to do in the country of the Gerasenes, what he did, we seem to be deploying our own devices to do this very same thing in our day. They drive us away from our fellow man. They drive us into ourselves. I read just this week an interesting article that's a little bit humorous about a shocking new development. Last month, you see, in November, a 35-year-old Tokyo school administrator named Akihoko Kondo 
married a 3D laser hologram imaging device with artificial intelligence. All right, he had an actual wedding to be joined together with this digital hologram device. And in an interview with CNN, Kondo said, society pressures you to follow a certain formula for love, but it might not make you happy. And so in pursuit of personal happiness, he married a hologram of a popular Japanese cartoonish anime personality known as Miku. And Miku is produced by this device which CNN describes as a cross between a coffee maker and a large jar. And this device was created to allow these anime fans to live with their favorite characters. And the anime characters respond with artificial intelligence, much the same way that Siri or Alexa would on those smart devices that we have from Apple and from Amazon. By the way, as an aside, I read in this article as well that over a million people last year asked Alexa to marry them. All right, so don't just get the idea that this is a Japanese phenomenon. But the device that Kondo has married has no sense of self. It has no sense of desires. In fact, he has complete control over the romantic narrative between he, he and his so-called electric, electronic wife. One Canadian ethicist called Neil MacArthur quoted in the article notes that this is not just the phenomenon of one goofball, but is actually the next step in what is already happening on the worldwide stage. He describes people like Kondo as a second-wave digisexuals. They're people who have moved beyond the first wave of using technology like dating apps in order to involve the human element. Now they've removed that human element in connecting with others, and they've embraced technology as an integral part of their sexual identity. And this ethicist states a concern that you probably have when he makes this statement, he said, I genuinely do worry about the impact that tech is having on our collective social life. Since we're already seeing the internet dating, social media, and tech in general, even Netflix, people are retreating into themselves. And friends, do you see the danger that we face when we become so absorbed in ourselves? Now let us keep our focus on Christ. Let us keep our focus on the one who has come to save. Let our business be about his business. And as we do, we'll see that our business will be included in his business to equip others. And we will come together with a body like this one. And we will build one another up. And we will be more effective in furthering his kingdom. So let us be found in this coming year, both as individuals and as a church, at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And finally, you should know that there's one other order of business that Jesus has for you in 2019. That's this. His business is to send you. His business is to send you. In verse 38, we find that the man who's been healed and delivered and now equipped wants to follow Jesus. But what may be a curiosity to us is the response that Jesus gives him. Jesus denies this man's request to follow him. Jesus sends him home instead. He sends him away. And he says in verse 39, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Why would Jesus do that? 
Well, there's a couple of things going on here that I think could be in play. For one, when the demons begged Jesus in Mark chapter 5, they specifically begged that Jesus would allow them to remain in this country that they're currently in. Apparently, the demons already felt at home in the place where they were. And how could they not? When, when, when the individuals from the city come out to see this man who's clothed and now in his right mind, when they see the miracle of what Jesus has done, they are terrified. And they are more concerned about keeping up with their pigs and keeping away the one who can do this great work than they are of actually taking this work and appropriating it to themselves. They're more concerned about their commerce, they're more concerned about their comfort than they are concerned about the one who has come to save them. And so Jesus leaves this man here as a witness. He leaves him here as this testimony of what God can do. He brings evangelism to a place that was otherwise unreached as he tells of the great things that God has done through Christ. And then I can't help but wonder if maybe God, maybe Christ sending this man back to his home had to do with the fact that this man still had work to do in the home. Can you imagine that glad reunion? I mean, for years, this guy's been living in the tombs. For years, he's been the crazy guy who has brought shame to the whole family, right? For, for years, he's been the guy who's, who's just been out naked and scaring everyone else away. And so here in this moment, we find that he has the opportunity to go home. And, and there's no mention here of whether this man was a husband. There's no mention of whether he was a father. There's no mention of whether he was a child. But in each and every one of those instances, we can just imagine what it would look like as this man made the long journey down the crooked path. And as the family's there sitting on their front porch and thinking, he's never going to come home. He's never going to break free from this mess that he's been in for so many years. And just over the horizon, here comes dad. Or here comes my husband. Or here comes my child. And he comes home to tell of the great things that God has done through Christ. Can you imagine that reunion? Can you imagine what a joy it would be to partake in that. Well, my friends, you should know the Bible tells us there is more joy and rejoicing in among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. And that joy, my friend, is a joy that Christ extends to you. It's a joy that Christ has extended to me. And this man didn't say, you know, it's a new day. I think I'll try a little bit harder. No, he grounded his resolutions in something that was greater than a year ticking over. He grounded his resolutions in something greater than just a numeric number, like going from 2018 to 2019. He grounded his resolutions to live for the Lord from this point on, the fact that he had encountered God in a mighty way, and God had done great things for him. And so... Unlike so many of our resolutions, this man's resolutions were kept. And so he was indeed transformed. He indeed became a missionary. He indeed told those who were in his country, in this land that didn't want Jesus around about the great things that he 
has done. And my friends, you can be sure that if you've been transformed in this way, God's business is for you to be about his business in that same way, sharing the good things that Christ has done. And so as we prepare for 2019, we should all be asking Jesus, what business do we have with each other? And I want to tell you again, his business is to heal you. His business is to deliver you. His business is to equip you. And his business is to send you. Are you resolved to be about the Lord's business here in this coming year? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to indeed be a part of your business. To think that you would call broken yet redeemed individuals like us to be your ambassadors, O oh Lord. It's really a humbling privilege to even think through. And yet your call remains the same. Your grace remains strong. Father, we rejoice that you have shown yourself to be the God who loves, the God who reaches out, the God who goes the great distance across stormy seas to rescue those who are enslaved by sin. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today on this day who has not yet come to realize the hope which you have granted, who has not yet found the rescue from hellish condemnation, who has not yet found a Savior who goes to great lengths as the greatest missionary who ever lived to reach those who need his saving work, then I pray, God, that if that one is here today, that you would speak to say, come be a part of my business. Come receive my gift to you. Come receive joy everlasting and rescue. And then, Lord, for each and every one of us here today, I pray that we would give a true examination of our hearts. Are we in your word? Are we, are we in communion with you? Are we being equipped by studying your word? Are we being equipped by joining together with brothers and sisters and studying your word? Are we being equipped, O oh Lord, by, by finding others who will speak to our needs and help us to work through our struggles? And, O oh Lord, are we, are we being the ones who are out speaking your truth, sharing of the great things you've done? Lord, I pray on this day as we prepare for what so many do, what is accustomed to do, as we make resolutions for the coming year, we would ground true resolutions of where we are and where we stand before you, not in just the change of a numeric year, but in the hope that is eternal, in the Savior who has come, in the grace that you have extended that no one will be able to pluck away, that no demon can hinder. And may we, O oh Lord, make resolutions that will cause us to be about your business here in this coming year. I pray these things in Jesus' name.